Awesome. Well, uh, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thankful to get to worship with you all this morning. If you're new or visiting, like John said, especially want to say welcome to you. We're glad that you join us. And uh, we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to help you get connected to the community here at River City. And whether that's on a Sunday morning here or at a small group or whatever, we'd love to just help you get plugged into the community here. And so you can explore faith or grow in your faith or wherever you're at. So Excited as well to continue uh, studying our series this summer. We're taking a look at the attributes of God. And what we talked about is an, an attribute, it refers to a, a character or, or a, a quality or a characteristic that belongs to someone. And we've seen how God's, God's attributes, they define and describe who he is. In other words, God's attributes, they, they tell us who he is and what he is like. And I think it can be really easy to think that studying the attributes of God is some kind of like heady intellectual exercise reserved for pastors or theologians or, or professors. But hopefully what you've seen in our series, and a big part of my goal in spending our time uh, studying the attributes of God this summer is to show you that is that the reason why thinking rightly about God and spending time studying the attributes is important is because it has deep implications for our everyday lives. And the reality is that the truth is, is, that, is that what you believe, it always determines what you do. And our behaviors, they are the, the tangible expression of our beliefs. When it comes to what we believe about God, what that means is that our actions and attitudes and perspectives, when those things are out of line with God's word and his will for our lives, then ultimately, at the root level, it's because on some level we either don't know, we've forgotten, or we refuse to believe something true about God. And that's why beholding and believing the truth about God is so central and important for all of us as we think about what it looks like for us to become the people God's made us to be. And we've seen that in a number of ways, whether it's the when even early on in the first week we looked at God's infinite limitlessness and we saw how when we rely on our own limited power and understanding or when we fashion a God who's limited in the same ways that we are, and what happens is that just makes us anxious and fearful. But instead, if we'll choose to acknowledge our own limits and yet put our faith in a God who has none, then that actually is the road to peace and the road to joy. We, we looked a couple weeks later at the aseity of God. That's his self-existence and self-sufficiency. We saw that when, when, we hold, when we embrace those ideas, what happens is it liberates us from the weight of trying to hold up or the fear of, of, of letting down a, a God who in some way needs us. But also what it does is it, it rightly orients our lives and helps us see it, live in the perspective that we are humble stewards. That every, all we are and all we have are gifts from a God who has created everyone and everything and temporarily entrusted those things to us. And he provides for us and he is generous to us and he invites us into his purposes, but he doesn't need us and he doesn't owe anything to us. And a few weeks ago we looked on Father's Day, we saw how Believing that God is not a boss or an employer, but instead a good father who loves unconditionally, who disciplines compassionately, who, who gives generously. We saw how believing in that reality, it transforms not only our relationship with him to, from one that's based on what we do for him to one that's based on who we are to him as his children, 
And the, but that, that, that in turn actually, it uproots the idols in our heart and it frees us to love and forgive our parents when they fall short of, of God's parental love. And it empowers us to relate to our own kids and to relate to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers with the kind of love and compassion and generosity that we've experienced and seen in God himself. You see, and what I go over that stuff because what I want to help us to see is the reality that thinking about the attributes of God is not just some heady intellectual exercise, but it's something that transforms our lives in real ways, and it matters. And the same is true as we think about the attribute we're going to take a look at this morning, God's omnipresence. Last week, Aaron talked about God's uh, omnipotence, which is his all, that he is all-powerful. This week, we're going to take a look at another omni, right? God's omnipresence. You and I, uh, omnipresent is it's the fancy theological term that refers to the reality that God is everywhere, simultaneously everywhere. You and I, by nature of being tethered to a physical body, we are limited to being present in one place at one time, much to our dismay a lot of the time, right? But God isn't. Instead, what we're going to see in Scripture this morning is that God is fully present in all places at all times. There is nowhere and no when that you can go where God is not fully there. And I don't know about you, but that idea is at least some parts terrifying uh, and comforting, right, as we think about what that looks like. And what I want to do this morning is I want to show you that beholding and believing in a God who is present everywhere is actually good news. It's actually good news that frees you to be fully present in the places and situations that he's put us so that we can actually become the people he's made us to be. And so I can't wait to show you that this morning. Let's, let's pray. We'll dive into our study. God, thanks so much for uh, you. Thanks so much for your word. Thanks so much for gathering us together this morning that we might study it. And we just, um, God, we should come humbly. Uh, we want to ask that you'd be gracious to speak to us through your word and to shape our thinking and our understanding in our lives. And God, we just want to admit that like our finite understanding, it limits the way we look at you in so many ways. And we ask God that uh, you would help us to lay aside the limits of our understanding and instead to embrace faith that comes from you. God, and where our understanding finds its limits, we pray, God, that you'd be gracious to empower us with faith to trust you for who you say you are, and that you'd be shaping us in and through that. So, uh, God, I don't have any power or any ability to cause your omnipresence to be good news this morning, but you do. And so I ask that you would, God, for our good and for, and for our joy, but ultimately so that we would worship you with our lives, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, in a lot of ways, when you look at the Bible, what you see is that in a lot of ways, the Bible is really the story of God's presence with his people. Whether it's in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, God walking in the Garden of Eden with them, or God guiding his people through the wilderness as a pillar of fire or cloud, or, or ultimately putting on flesh in the person of Jesus, the Bible's the story of God's presence with his people. And what you see throughout is that God's desire has always been to be with, to be present with, his people. But what the Bible also makes clear is that the presence of God is not limited to any one particular time or place or situation. In response to being tasked by God to build a temple where God would dwell with his people and they would interact with him, Solomon, he marvels in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, he says, this temple I'm going to build will be great. 
because our God is greater than other gods, he says, but who is able to build the temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? In Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, Solomon's father David, he he puts it this way. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. We're going to keep coming back to Psalm 139. There is a whole lot here this morning. But as well, what you see, God uses a, a series of rhetorical questions in the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 23, God, he outlines this all-encompassing nature of his presence. He says it this way. He says, am I only a God who's nearby, not a God who's far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? Do not I fill heaven and earth? You see, what the Bible is saying is that unlike you and I who can only be in one place at one time, God is everywhere at once. He is in all places simultaneously. There is no place in the entire universe where he is not present. Jen Wilkins, she just puts it so beautiful, she writes it this way. She says, God is present in worlds far beyond what the Hubble Space Telescope can see and in worlds far smaller than the strongest electron microscope can disclose. He's present everywhere. But it's important that you understand that God doesn't fill the universe like a gas where just like part of him is over here and part of him is over there and there's a little bit here and a little bit there. No, what you see is that instead God is fully present everywhere. He's not partially present everywhere. He's fully present everywhere. In Psalm 139, we talked about David. He's talking there about how there's nowhere he can flee from the presence of God. That, that word that he uses there to talk about the presence of God, it's literally the Hebrew word for face. What David is saying is that there's nowhere he can go. Wherever he go, there is God's face. There's the fullness of his presence everywhere. See, rather than a small part of him occupying each place he inhabits, all of God is fully present everywhere. Among other things, what that means is that God is able to maintain an infinite amount of relationships perfectly. I hope that's good news to you. His attention is not divided. His caring concern is never spread thin. Because he is omnipresent, he is able to be fully present with everyone equally. That's good news. But it gets even crazier because what we see is that God's not just fully present everywhere, he's fully present everywhere, past, present, and future. He's everywhere and every when, right? Psalm uh, 139 and verse 4, the verse before we read, David alludes to this reality. He writes it this way. He says, before a word is even on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You see, we have this tendency to mistakenly think that God is able to see the future. But that, uh, it's, we, we're mistaken because that underlies this belief that we have that God's stuck in the present with us that he can glimpse the future, he can review the past, but that's not who God is. God is himself utterly outside of time, and so all moments are present to him concurrently. He sees everything as it is before him at the same time. And so he's not just fully present everywhere, he is fully present at all times. Simply put, there is no place and no time where God is not fully present everywhere. 
And what that means is that whether we sense his presence or not, like Acts chapter 17 tells us, he is not far from any of us. He's not far. And yet the Bible is also clear that while God is while God is imminent in his creation, the, the theological word for God's presence everywhere is his imminence, the Bible is also clear that God is distinct from his creation. Theologians call that his transcendence. See, pantheism teaches that every part of creation is a little part of God. But the Bible is different. You see, the, as Christians, what we believe is that God is in, while God is in and around all things, he is absolutely distinct from them. One commentator puts it this way. He says, God is over all things. He's under all things, yet outside them. Within, but not enclosed. Without, but not excluded. Above, but not raised up. Below, but not depressed. Holy above, presiding. Holy beneath, sustaining. Holy within, filling. He is distinct. And so God's omnipresence isn't saying that God is a part of everything, but that he exists fully everywhere, and yet is distinct from his creation. And when you behold and believe in a transcendent God who is present everywhere, that changes you in a couple of really profound ways. First, I think, is that it causes us to take our, our lives and our actions and our choices, it causes us to take those things seriously. I don't know about you, but usually when I'm driving, I, I usually you know, pay attention to the speed limit, right? If, I'm, if my seatbelt's buckled or not, or right? whether there's stop signs or whatever. But, but I don't know about you, but when, as soon as I see a police car in the rearview mirror, it's like, 10 and 2, double check the seatbelt, right? Tap the brakes, make sure, like, it's like, focus! Right? You're like, I don't even know, why am I going 25 miles an hour? It's a 45, what is happening, right, you know? Right, why, right? Because you know you're being watched. Why do you think Hy-V has that TV that's over the front doors when you walk in, right? Showing you a live feed of you walking in. Is that just so my kids can wave at it and say hello? No, that's not what that's for, right? <laughs> It's because we behave differently when we know we are being watched. See, and the truth is, is that God's eyesight is better than any police officer's. And he is more accurate than any security camera. He sees everything completely because he is everywhere fully. There's nothing that gets hidden from him. Like he said in Jeremiah 29, who can hide in secret places so that I can't see them? See, and if the eyes of a police officer on the road or security camera in a store are meant to affect our actions, how much more than the reality of an omnipresent God who sees perfectly all things? I think sometimes we believe the lie that we're actually good at hiding our sin. And maybe you are, from people. The truth is, is that you are not hiding anything from God. There is no private browsing. There is no incognito mode with him. David says, where can I go to escape you? The answer is nowhere. There's no hiding. He sees everything. And that reality should cause us to think twice before we act because nothing we do is done in secret although we might like to believe it is nothing we do is done in secret 
So that should cause us to think twice about that, but also it should lead us to a place where we are quick to confess our sins and turn to God in repentance. See, the reality is that God's omnipresence means that there's no point in trying to hide or conceal or minimize our sin before him. It's utterly pointless. It's totally foolishness. He knows exactly what you've done. More than that, he knows the motives of your heart. He knows your intentions. He sees and knows it all before you've even done or thought it. And so instead of trying to hide our sin from him and trying to excuse it or trying to keep it from him, instead, the omnipresence of God invites us that we might instead come to him confessing it, owning it, laying it all before him, being honest with him about it, because he already sees it. And knowing as well, like 1 John 9 tells us, if we would confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive. And so the omnipresence of God leads us to take our lives and our choices and our actions and our sins seriously, knowing that God sees everything. It also leads us to, to, instead of pointlessly trying to hide our sin, to come to him quickly, to confess it, to be honest with him about it. But God's omnipresence isn't just, kind of, isn't just some kind of cosmic warning against living badly. Instead, it's also this comforting reminder. Let me read you again Psalm 139, but I'm going to go a little farther this time. David writes in verse 7 again, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He goes on, verse 9, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand, it will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. For the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light before you. You see, David sees both of the sides of the coin of God's omnipresence. Right? He sees that there's no place he can go to hide his sin from God, and yet what he also sees is that there is no place he can go where God's loving hand cannot reach him. There's no place he can go where God's loving hand will not hold him fast. You see, in the midst of the difficult things of life, what that means, in the midst of trials and hardship, even in the midst of injustices, you can be absolutely confident because God is omnipresent, that he is not far from you, that he's not distant, that he is not unaware or uninvolved, but that he is imminently present with you. He is fully present with you. He has not run out of capacity. He has not run out of bandwidth. He is not too busy with others. He is fully present with you. And that's good news. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 tells, says it this way. It reminds us that God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13 is echoing Jesus' own final words to his disciples when he tells them, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. You see, God's omnipresence is a comforting good news that the all-powerful God is with us always. And the reality is that when you embrace that double-sided reality of God's omniscience, right, that, that he is a God who sees all, but who, because he sees all, is there with you in all, 
what happens is that that actually frees you from this need that we all feel to, to be ever-present ourselves. Everyone knows the desire to, to want to be two places at once, right? It's the human condition, especially if you're a parent, right? Parents know this better than anybody else. You have this, there's just this desire. You want to be in two places at once, whether it's you need to be at work, but you'd rather be with your kids or whatever it might be, or you're with one, but you can't be with the others, whatever it is, there's this desire, right? That we want to be in two places at once. But the reality is that we'll never be able to be present everywhere simultaneously. Our attention will always be divided. And yet the good news of God's omnipresence is not just that he is always with you, but that he is always with those that you love. He's not just present everywhere with you. He's present everywhere with everyone. And he is more present than you could ever be. And that frees you from this nagging feeling that we have oftentimes, this, this nagging feeling that we have to be in all places. That without us there, things won't go as they need to go. And instead, it lets us let God be the omnipresent one. Let go of that and let him be the one who's present everywhere instead of us. And the reality is that that only frees you from this longing to be present everywhere. That's the thing that actually empowers you to be fully present where you are. You see, if you can entrust God to be present everywhere, protecting, guiding, leading, safeguarding in all the places that you cannot be, if you can entrust that to him, what that allows you to do is choose to be present where he's placed you, to be fully present there. And the only way you can do that is if, and have peace in the midst of it, right, is if you entrust him to be present where you cannot be. And that frees you to give all of yourself to the places God has put you because you know that he's put others and he is with them wherever he is at. The problem, though, is that instead of beholding and believing in a God who is omnipresent, we, we run from that. Instead of embracing it, we run from it. We reject the idea of God who's present everywhere because like with the police on the road or the cameras in the store, we don't like being watched. We, 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 it feels oppressive and suffocating and overbearing and smothering. We, we don't like the idea that we might have to be accountable for everything that we do and we want to make our own decisions and we think if we, if we can't just live with freedom to do whatever we want, to be out of the gaze of whoever and, and to do whatever we want as we see fit, then, then what's the point in the first place? You see, our, that's certainly the message of our culture. And if that is your understanding of life, then an all-present, ever-present God is an absolute nightmare. But here's the curious thing. David felt the same way. King David, the, the one who the Bible says is one who was after God's own heart, says he felt the same way. Psalm 139 in verses 5, right before the passage that we read, David says it this way. He says, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand on me. He's not talking about comfort. He's talking about the weightiness of God's ever-present hand on him. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He, he's not saying it's beautiful and glorious. He's saying it is overwhelming to me. He goes on, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? What David is saying is that the reality of an ever-present God is heavy to him. It's too much, and it makes him want to run. 
It makes him want to run. And the reality is it makes us want to do the same. And so instead of embracing the omnipresence of God, we try to run from it or ignore it or outright reject it altogether. And in the midst of all our rejecting and our running from a God who is everywhere, what we all endlessly find is that we find ourselves longing for him. Because although we don't want a God who watches everything, we want a God whose hand is with us in everything. We want that. We want the comfort that comes from knowing that an all-powerful and good God is always with us. We want the peace that comes from being led by a God for whom even the darkness is light. We want the assurance that comes from a God who cannot lose us. And so the question is, how do we move from unbelief and running to belief and becoming when it comes to the omnipresence of God? How do we embrace both the comfort and assurance that we long for as well as the inescapable gaze of an ever-present God? How do we hold, how do we let both of those things come into proper tension and be true in our lives? How do you do that? Well, the answer is the person and the work of Jesus. That's the only way. You see, throughout Psalm 139, what you see is David is wrestling with this reality that he can't lose God. He cannot get away from him. He can't shake him. And yet what you see on the cross is Jesus crying out because he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, on the cross, what Jesus is doing is he's crying out. He's wrestling with the reality that he can't find God. While David can't shake him, on the cross, Jesus can't find him. And the reality is, is that what we see happening on the cross is that Jesus is getting what you and I deserve. In fact, he's getting what you and I think we want some of the time. The very absence of God. See, and the message of the gospel is that because Jesus got what you and I deserved, because he lost the presence of God, you and I can be sure that you never will. Because Jesus lost it, you can be sure you never will. No matter what you do, no matter how bad your sin is, through faith in him we can know that God's omnipresence is actually good news. That you've been forgiven and loved and adopted, that you've been included, not because you've been known partially, but because you've been known completely. And because Jesus, you can be sure that while God sees everything that you do, he does not stand in judgment over you, waiting to point the finger and crush you, but instead he stands in love underneath you, inviting that you might run to him, that you might be filled with his power to live a new life that you cannot live on your own, and that you might be confident that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he is always near you and will always. See, the proclamation of the gospel, as Tim Keller so strikingly puts it, is this. That while there is no refuge from God, there is refuge in him. There's no refuge from him, but there is refuge in him. You see, without the gospel, the omnipresence of God is a crushing weight that you cannot bear. It is a suffocating it's this suffocating, smothering reality because the reality is that you and I are sinners in the face of a holy God. 
But with the gospel, God's omnipresence becomes good news that fuels our obedience and and, and our joy as we revel in his abundant grace. Because what we're seeing is that although he sees everything, his grace is still abundantly more. He sees all of who we are. He sees the you that you don't even understand is true about you yet. He sees the motives of your heart that you don't even get yet. He knows how wicked you are to the core. And yet in the gospel what we see is that he has chosen to make himself come in love for you. See, the gospel is the only way that you get to embrace the omnipresence of God. His ever-watchful eye and his ever-nearness comfort. The gospel is the only way that those things together are good news. And that's part of what we're remembering and celebrating each week in communion. That Jesus' death on the cross in our place not only pays the penalty for our sin, but it's the means by which we get to take refuge in God. It's the way we get to run and hide in Him. It's by letting His wings cover us completely. And so communion doesn't make you right with God and it doesn't save you. The Bible's clear that faith in the saving work of Jesus on your behalf, his perfectly lived life, lived in place of your imperfect one, his his death died, substituted for your death, that that's the way by faith that you become right with God. And so instead, communion is this chance for us to remember. It's this chance for us to to remember that Jesus lost the presence of God so that you and I would never have to. And so that the presence of God might be good news. One of freedom, not one of judgment. And so if you've trusted and believed the gospel, or if you do for the first time this morning, then I want to encourage you during our time of worship, go back and take communion. There's a table on the left and on the right in the back, and you can dip the bread in the juice during our time of singing whenever you feel led. But if you're here today and you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, I just want you to know how glad I am that you are here But I want to encourage you, hold off on taking communion. God is not after religious rituals and going through the motions. He's he's after a heart that's not trying to appease him in fear of judgment or fearful of getting too far or too close for him. He's after a heart that longs that we might let him in all the way. And that we might know we're safe to do that because of Jesus. That's what he's after. And so as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song, I just want to encourage you, talk with God. How does beholding and believing in the omnipresence of God need to change you? See, for some of you, you're here this morning and it means you need to stop lying to yourself about the sin that you think you're hiding. You need to stop lying to yourself about that. The reality is that God is fully present with you at all times, and you need that to be a sobering reminder that your sin is not a secret. And you need that this morning. And you need to start taking your sin seriously and to begin by confessing it to him and to others so you can actually receive the forgiveness and renewal that you need and the power you actually need to live a new life. But for others of you, you are here, and you need the flip side of that coin You need the reminder that the God who sees everything is with you. That he is not far off and not distant. That he is not unaware of the things you are wrestling with and the difficulties you are facing. He is imminently present with you. 
that you cannot lose him because he cannot lose you. And in your hurting and in your fears and in your doubts, you need to ask him to remind you of his omnipresence, his everywhere presence with you. And you need to ask him by his spirit to help that be good news that sinks deeply into your heart. My son Caleb last night in the middle of the night came running into our room crying. He had had a bad dream and he was afraid. And as I held him close, I prayed over him. God thinks that you are always with us. Thinks that you never leave. You are always fully present with us. And I prayed that God would help my son to know that he is stronger than any demon, any monster, anything he could imagine. And the all-powerful God is the ever-present God with him. Some of you need that this morning. You are, all, you are all too clearly aware of your own sin. You don't need the reminder that he's watching. <laughs> Some of you need the reminder that his loving arms are present with you. See, and lastly, for, for some of you, the holding and believing in the omnipresence of God, it needs to free you from this insatiable need that you have to be everywhere at once. See, God is the only one who can be everywhere, and he is good, and his presence is what keeps you and others safe, not your own. It's his presence that matters, not yours. Let that free you from the need that you feel to be everywhere. And because you can trust him to be fully present where you are not, let that enable you to choose to be fully present where you are. In the people's lives and relationships and situations that God's put you in. Ask God to help you to be imminent, present there. So that you might become the person he's made you to be. And that you might allow him to use you for the good he wants to do in you and through you. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for you that you see everything because you are everywhere. There is no nook or cranny. There is no crevice. There is no corner of the universe where you're full, not fully, completely, absolutely present. And we are so grateful that that is true. And we're so grateful, God, that that can be good news to us because of the gospel. That in Jesus, although you see all, we can know that through faith in him that you forgive us completely. That you don't stand in judgment over us, but that you stand with an inviting arm of grace extended to us. That we might come to you for life and help and, and the power we need to live for you. And so God, we pray that your omnipresence might be good news because of the gospel. That you might help us to, as Keller so poignantly said, that you might help us to remember that there is no refuge from you. There is only refuge in you. Help us to run to you, God, for refuge, knowing that you are the ever-present God.
present with us always, we pray. Amen.